lush cut grass and it's filling up my senses and the, the sun is shining down on the blossoms in the avenue There's a buzzing fly hanging around the bluebells and the daisies There's a lot more love in you But in this hood Don't go Don't leave me Sandy beaches and my, my toes are submerged in the water and it feels good. The children play in building castles on the shoreline like a painting that we loved and loved. It feels so fine, don't go. Don't even now, now, now. Welcome to Taste East End episode 166 and it's me, Gary P, and of course, the prop Carl Riley. Hifty Zoom is back there, everyone's favourite. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, there's been a positive case in the Parsons household, and we are all isolating. Very, very strange. I'm negative, bulletproof as usual, but it's it's strange. It's a very, very strange thing to have to do <laughs> in your own house. It's something I don't think I can get used to. Um, this is wrong. remind me of quarantine peak at the moment. Yeah, that yeah, interview. No, it's odd. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm in a prison cell here. It is. It's a bit odd. But of course, we're still sponsored by Ocean Electrical. Doing fantastic work all around Dublin, working on the department with the Department of Education, all sorts of electrical contracts and electrical testing. So check them out if you need anything done electrical wise. And we've got Leicester Credit for those unexpected moments in your life. Leicester Credit, they got you back. Yeah, so check them out. And um, they're in partnership with a lot of other companies. So if you do need anything as regards to, let's say, a bit of plumbing done or you need a security camera system, they link up with companies. Leinster Credit look after it and then you pay back weekly so um, that is it check out Leinster Credit so prop yeah that is it we're back on Zoom not ideal but it has to be done unfortunately I'm getting uh, I'm getting drops in it's like it's like a video game we've got drones dropping in food packages every so <laughs> often and I have to go out and get them and the dropping in is there Toblerone ice creams and <laughs> is our uh, puddle it's gotten to the stage where the soldiers are gone the soldiers are gone and I'm doing fake soldiers so what you can actually do is to make your Guinness draft better you pin a hole in the top of the can right that opens the part that opens pin a hole in it leave it in the fridge for 15 minutes now it's already cold and then when you open that the widget hasn't been activated all the air has been let out and then it's a flat Guinness so you put it in your soldier and it's a soldier point. It's eight out of ten every time. There you go. So that's the hack that I've uncovered. <laughs> Keep me sane during this, but um yeah, so we'll move on. So we're gonna talk about three one win over Pats last week and look ahead to Rovers Conference League debut on Thursday against FK Tuita Durez. And we have an interview with later on with Albanian sports writer Ermal Kuka to give us the inside track on Tuta. Hey, you see that? You like that? <laughs> Uh, Carl also chatted with Mick Kieran, a member of the six in a row team, a part of Roverside that so nearly knocked out Brian Munich out of 1966, woke up in his cup. Fascinating chat prop. I have to say, people are going to look forward to this one. And this this individual, Mark Franz Beckenbauer. I mean, that's as good as an interview guess as you can pick, really, isn't it? He, he marked Beckenbauer. He marked Beckenbauer, yeah. And uh, what I got off this interview is that a lot of players were very versatile back in the day. Like Beckenborough played sweeper, but also played left wing. 
Do you know what I mean? I don't think that type of versatility exists anymore and it's not as prevalent in the game. So, Yeah, I think he played differently for Munich in Germany. So they weren't even up to the day before, they weren't sure where he was going to play. And, and Mick was quite similar as well. Mick played everywhere. So it's versatility was a big thing back then. But yeah, we're talking about the name Treaty United last week. A couple of people pointed out that Limerick is known as the Treaty City and that explains it and something we didn't know, I'm guessing. Uh, it's a historical name. So that is the Treaty City and that explains it all. But last week's tribute to Jack Wilson prop went down a tree. A lot of text messages, a lot of uh, uh, nice messages in about. Yeah, great response to it. So uh, big, uh, big thanks to everybody who helped us out with that one. But Friday, I'm in live. This is the, the other podcast section. Uh, he said, this quality memoriam, lad. So much history, t- tradition and passion for the club in one family. Thank God for Jack Wilson. KOH. So uh, the lads, the friendship is starting to grow stronger, prof. I think we might have Dale with the ghoulies here because uh, they are, Liam is after going, going, doing a low blow. And he's after getting his kids. He's after involving the kids. He's after getting his kids' jerseys. So the kids are running around in the hoops. Uh, that's, you know what I mean? That's good tactics right there. Superb tactics. Low blow. And I totally agree with it. But their show, their show is coming on leaps and bounds. It really is. Love listening to it. And I'm lo- Do you know what I like about Dale? He said that... Uh, I love his little digs. He said that Liverpool won a fake treble in 2001. I was yeah. loving that. I was loving it. And he had so much conviction in his voice when he was saying it. So he's definitely, definitely leaning towards a hoop mentality. Uh, yeah, so Jack's nephew, Gary Armstrong, he said, brilliant lads, can't thank you enough. I've listened to the memorial four times already. Just finished the full podcast there for the first time. And the song at the end really got me in the fields. Outstanding. Cheers, boys. Keep up the great work. So, uh, yeah, no no problem, Gary. And great stuff again. Um, rattling off teams in his sleep at this stage. Yeah, we also got a message from Paula Cleary. Uh, she said, Hi, Carl and Gary. I've just listened to your podcast. There's a lump on my in my throat. Thanks so much for remembering my dad. It's something we'll treasure. So it's a lovely message. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. But we'll move on, Prof, to the bad news, unfortunately. Good for him, bad for us. Liam Scales accept to join Celtic in a possible record 600k deal plus add-ons. Contracted with Rovers till the end of 2022, so that's will we'll be that our biggest transfer. Well, it's rumored to be the biggest transfer in Agabar in history. It's like we, we, we'll never it was never disclosed exactly how much Bazuna was because of the add ons, it was believed to be yeah. 500,000 plus add ons. And Rovers said that it broke the record from Roy O'Donovan, which was also 500,000. So, this is meant to top it. So, what? Uh, what way is this going to work, Prof? Is it going to go back into the playing budget? Is it going to go anywhere else into the Roadstone? Where is this money going to go? That is the big question. Hopefully some to Tifties. Hopefully some to Tifties, yeah. <laughs> they can get their get our Tifties t-shirts. <laughs> which we're, we're actually going through the process now. I actually have to talk to you later on about that. But you know yeah, what? So, this, uh, is all, this is all Graham Cummins' fault. Ever since he wrote that article. No one yes, was aware of Liam is. Scales until you wrote that. I remember you shitting on him. I remember you shitting on him when, when he did write it. You were like, God damn you, Cummings. <laughs> and by the way, uh, yeah, so it was uh it's not it's not good news. We want to keep him, obviously, but we want to wish him all the best. If it does happen, um he'll slot right in, in my opinion. I, I watched Celtic the other night and geez, he could he could do a job easily. He could easily get into that team, in my opinion. 
the ignorance already you're seeing from Celtic fans online, it's just unbelievable, isn't it? Just, they just it's see crazy. a big of Arden player and they think, oh, he's not good enough. We need, we need to be signing better players than this. It's, it's mental. Usual, it really you know? is. They've, they've never seen the guy play before and they're immediately just shitting all over him because he comes from the League of Ireland. And that's the thing with the manager already. I, it's a poison chalice, that job. Like, I'm interested in, I know you hate Celtic, I'm interested in this manager because he's a winner. He's won everywhere he's gone. Like, he's an, he's an interesting character, interesting individual, and already the knives are out and the media are out to get him. He lost, now, obviously, he lost in the Champions League, which isn't, a, it's not ideal. But the commentator said to him, this is a catastrophe. This is an absolute catastrophe, is what the journalist said. And he said, a catastrophe means the end. This is just the beginning. He's already <laughs> having to defend himself. They're yeah. out from already. It's a fucking poison chalice. It really is. But I'm interested in this guy because, like I said, he's he's a winner. You know, he's won everywhere he's gone. So we've said the prof, they were beaten 2-1 by Hearts on opening day. But now Aaron McInerney was an unused sub. Um, I watched this one as well. I'm watching pretty much everything that exists on television at the minute because I have nothing else to do. <laughs> I'm stuck in the house. So I've been just sitting around watching that, but they, uh, they they weren't great. They didn't they didn't look up to scratch at all. So I thought I like your man Sorrow in the middle, but other than that, nah, they were poor and it's a bad loss on the start of the season. But listen, it's the guy needs time. Simple. He needs a year just to even put his print on the team. But unlucky for Aaron McNeff not to get a game. Here's a question for you. How many hours after Scales signed for Celtic would he be called up to the Ireland squad? I'd say he'd been in the half hour. Yeah. I'd say he got a phone call straight away. Like, what took you? The old magic plane. The old magic plane. <laughs> and now, yes, there, so that's now the Celtic section of the show is over. So I can say with all sincerity, fuck Celtic. <laughs> oh, so we're going to move on now to our big interview of the week. And it's Mick Cairn. So you joined Robbers in 1966, and then we had the the cup winners cup campaign. So you scored yeah. you scored in the two legs against Spar Luxembourg. I think there's a bit of footage on YouTube. Eight uh, two yeah. aggregate. So was that a fairly easy opponent? And do you still remember the goals? I do, I do very well. The, uh, the one in Dublin, I can I can I remember it all right. I think it was a cross in from Frank O'Neill. And I, I was playing on the left side of, of the midfield or outside left. It could have been outside left. Uh, two we used to play me on the wing, kind of mark, and somebody pulled me in and out. And uh, yeah, it was a great game. And, and was, I, I remember the one that scored better against them out there. And I picked up a ball just outside the box. And. Uh, come forward with it so I'm up around the halfway line just going over and uh, the goalkeeper was off his line and I took it into my head and Neem Toomey was running on my right hand side calling for the ball and I didn't give it to him I shot it but your man hit it over his head from just inside the the centre circle in the halfway line and uh, went into the net he was he come out too far so that was the best goal I think I ever scored I scored a few one and a half over the years, you know, and uh, I never got a call. I was trying to get a pity over it, and the matches then with with Bayern Munich, of course, or outstanding games in the memory. But 
I've tried to get some of them. I have a bit of some of them there. And my son got all of RTE uh, tapes, you know. And uh, but so, yeah. And then, of course, in the cup final, I remember that one well. I think it was a ball to come out and I come on to it and banged it in anyway. So, yeah, scored a few good goals on and off. Wasn't a prolific goal scorer at the time, but then I, I played everywhere. You know, I was, could have been outside right this week, centre half the next, left winger the next. The only place I didn't play was goalkeeper. But leading to we said I was very versatile and could play bad in any position. <laughs> I think you're on the le- you're on the left uh, wing. I think for the the Munich game was it? Yeah, yeah. He he, he decided. But I was playing on and off everywhere, you know. But he decided I'd play outside left, and my job basically was to mark Breckenbauer. Right. So that was that was the game. That was the plan for the match anyway. But what we didn't know was. Technically, Breckenbauer only played that position for for West Germany. When he was playing with Bern, he played as a sweeper. And some Dublin fella rang to me and told him this. But that was the setup anyway. But I still played wide on the left, as I did in Dublin. And we should have beat him in Dublin. We really should have beat him. As I was telling you the other day, the our own crowd the ball down behind the school goals and they wouldn't throw the ball back in and the game kind of lost its flow and they were recouped or you know their senses and what they were in that when we had them on the rack so we wound up one all there and then we went out to Munich to play them and it was the first time we ever seen guys in tights go to play football but I don't blame them <laughs> But uh, it was so so many degrees below freezing, you know. Describe the uh, and, uh, describe the pitch actually. Well, it was a municipal pitch in Munich at that time. And Munich eighteen sixty played on it as well. They didn't have their own pitch, and it was like the stadiums that we would kind of have that we don't even have here yet at that stage because it was a municipal stadium looked after by the council of. of uh, Munich, and you know the best of everything, but they had their own training ground outside of Munich. But uh, yeah, it was a good stadium. But under the conditions we were playing, it wasn't too nice. I can tell you that it was covered by so ice cold, and snow, but, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. You know, a certain amount, of, but it, it was. It was so bloody cold, you know. So that's why the guys were wearing the tights and the gloves. That was the first experience I had. The lads wearing gloves or. Uh, you know, wearing tights. See, and <laughs> you mentioned Beckenbauer there. I mean, this was the Bayern team full of world or future World Cup winners like Beckenbauer, Sepp Meyer, Jared Muller. So people would have seen these uh-huh. guys play in, uh-huh. the, in the 66 World Cup final at Wembley as well, weren't they? They were stars. Yeah, yeah even the centre half, I can't think of his name, he was on the West German side as well that played with him. And that was the first year that they won the European trophy. It was the Cup Winners Cup. And uh, it was a great time. Like, uh, and most of the thing, we even played in the early rounds, I think we played uh, Schalke. And I mean, they were one of the top sides and it did two or three lads that had Nabuda anyway, I can remember the winger. 
was a famous swinger with him at that time with Germany, Reinhard Labuda. And he was a tremendous player. But, you know, they were, were top-class size at uh, that time, Schalke. And uh, I think we might... I think we drew with them here, or maybe we got beat one nil out there, or vice versa, something like that. You know, it was uh, yeah, it was Munich. Munich was the icing on the cake, and sure, we didn't we we didn't think we had a chance. I suppose, basically, you know, it was uh, we proved them wrong, and proved ourselves wrong. And they thought we'd uh, be, yeah, they thought we'd be pushovers too, didn't they? Because they sold forty thousand tickets for the next game. They had the tickets sold in advance. Yeah, they thought it was that simple. You know, was it? They got to kick up the arse, <laughs> as the lad says, for the for the one of the better words. No, we had a good team. I must say, at that time, it was a good side. And I mean, Lean, Lean was a great manager, but he was a great motivator as well. It was charisma he had. If Tui told you you could run through that wall, you you'd run through the wall. And a fellow that said that to me was I don't know whether you remember was John Herrick. He was a hard man. He, he played for a year with us in Rovers, but he played with Cork Hibs and that tough nut, really tough nut, which most Cork lads were. And he said that to me one day. He said, Mick, you know why if we had Rasher down at Cork? And he said to me, John, why? You can run through that wall there. I'd run through with Mick. <laughs> tremendous, tremendous personality and so, charisma in that, you know. As for the game, uh, we went 2-0 two, two down very early, but uh, like you say, too, he mu- must have given a great team talk because we got back to 2-all and it was your through ball for 2 he for the equaliser. That's right, that's right. And the same with the one in his home in Dublin for one of the goal as well. Across it, I think Bobby Gilbert got it. A header or two, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, it was, it was indeed. You just get to the stage like, and when you've got players then as well, it makes all the difference, you know. And most over the years, like if you go back, when I was a young lad here in Kildare, I can remember Tui was Rovers and then he went to, to Newcastle and being Hennessy. Paddy Cole, the first soccer match I've seen was Man United, the Busby Babes and Rovers. I got a half day out of school, I took it off here and went to Dublin. And that was the first, what you call, really soccer match that I ever saw. And it was just, you know, unbelievable, you know, to see that and the performance of Rovers put up that day. And then they went to. I forget what the score was now at the match, I suppose. They weren't now the game when we were going to, to Old Trafford. But I believe, when I know that, they, they gave them a scare, they played great. But the outstanding man on the two matches, from all belief, and Paddy Armour one of the lads that said it to me, was, was Paddy Cole, who was the outstanding player in both matches. And all the great players, he outshone all the great Man United players, you know. Which is which was unbelievable, and he was a great player. I've seen him two or three times. About that's about all. After that, and uh, you know, in games I went up to Dublin, but didn't go up too often. It was too far. <laughs> just ta- says. just taking your mind back to at this point in the in the Munich game. I mean, they were rattled, and 
the crowd was silenced and at this point we're five minutes away from the quarterfinals of the, of the Cup Winners' Cup so describe what happens next That's right. Well it was about two minutes or three minutes and twenty seconds I think was the, the thing about three minutes to go or two all they, they get a free down at their end of the thing just outside the box Breckenbauer just grabs the ball throws it on the ground runs after it whack down as hard as it can down into the all penalty area uh, Muller jumps up heads it down and there was an Austrian centre forward with him I can't think of his name now and he stuck it in the net should never have been allowed it was a rolling ball but the two wall draw would have seen us through you know we come back from two down at half time and then with two wall with that thing to go Philip Green nearly fell off the stand when they got the thing he was the first one out in the field from where he was on the thing. He was shattered. It nearly killed him. But he didn't have a heart attack, I don't know, because, by God, was he a Rovers man. A Rovers in and out he was. And it was heartbreaking to think that we could have got through, you know. But anyway, that was it. And, I mean, technically, the ball is rolling. It's not, you know, it should be retaken. And that's... That's how anxious they were, naturally enough, with two all. They were, they were going to be out if they didn't get another one. But uh, again, it's the, the big fish seem to get all the things for it that's going, like Man U and a few others. You know? So the, the Bayern team and the fans were obviously relieved after the final whistle. I believe you had a meal with Beckenbauer afterwards. Ah, yes, we all had an old meal together and that it's over, it's over and that, you know. And I mean, a lot of them didn't speak that much English and none of us spoke German. But you just, you know, try to talk to one another and pass things off as far as I can remember. But yeah, it was nice. And the, actually, the day, I think the day before the match, we actually went out to, they were out in the Bavarian Alps in the camp at their big hotel. And we went out and we had dinner with them that evening before the match as far as I can remember. And that, you know, but uh, yeah, it was, but sure, that's the way you were when you when you played and the match was over, it was over and you went and you, it was a do kind of, you had to, you had to pass yourself off anyway, you know what I mean? For the club's sake, you just went and that was it. But actually, we had a few drinks that night and any, any of us that could drink, we, we had a couple of us never drank, Ronnie and Paddy Mulligan from, or I can gather. But a few of us used to have an odd point on that. And uh, so we had a few beers there, of course. But it was it was terrible to care, to be honest with you. You know, to, to think it would have been true and it should never have been allowed. You know, and there's no doubt about it. It definitely should never have been allowed. And robbers were famous, obviously, for the, the, the six in a row of FAI Cups. In the sixties, uh, you were there. Yeah. For, you were there for three of those FAI Cups. I was there. I think you mentioned earlier you scored yeah. in the sixty-nine final replay against Cork Celtic. Yeah, I think that was that was a. I think it was a corner from Frank O'Neill, and somebody knocked it back. And I, I was playing left half in that match, and uh, I just hit it on the you know on the, on the thing just on the edge of the box. It came to me, and you know with the 
travelling out towards me and it just got it, you know, correctly and it flew in. Might have went as hard if it hadn't been kicked at me, you know. It had a bit of pace on it coming to me and I just whacked it in, you know, the fellow says. And, uh, yeah, I can see it was down to, not the, the school end again, I think, where it was called. Scored a few down there over the years, so. Balls that add for Rovers, you know. Only a few, but uh, yeah, the cup, the cup runs were really great. It was a tremendous time, like for the club and all that, and the people. And, and I, I knew a few diehard Rovers supporters up in where I was living with my uncle up in Collins Avenue at the time, and they loved it. He had a shop up there, and he used to come into the shop and. Oh, jeez, and then if we, if we had a bad game, you were, I can't say it, you were effing useless, Mick Hume, you know that? You should go home. <laughs> There's a couple of them. We die hard from Rings End, where, you know, living up there off Collins Avenue, where I was living. And that, yeah. What, what do you but, think uh, it was about the FEI Cup that made Roberts seemingly unbeatable? Like, did you look at the Cup games any differently to the league or do anything different? No, no, Carl, we didn't. It was just something, but I think other teams had a feeling that, you know, the way it was in them days, that, you know, they were, hit, they were hitting their head off a wall or something, you know what I mean? That's uh, always was going to win, you know, because they always win in the cup. And that could have been, a, you know, a psychology thing as well. But then, then it got into the players as well, like, we, you'd, you'd feel that, you know, well, it's, it's something that, that we always win, you know, and whether it's something you you walk against them or, or not, you know, but it just depends on what's happening. I don't know why, you know, and it wasn't as if we got handy runs into it at times, you know, some of the teams you had to beat to get through, were, you know, were tough games. So it wasn't just a wall cake walk, as you say, you know, but, uh, yeah, they done it, and it was kind of a bit of a kick in the backside when we didn't qualify after the six in a row. <laughs> it was one of those bad days that you remembered for a long time, you know. And uh, that was it. So you just had we got to the six. Unfortunately, we couldn't get them anymore. But then they got them then again after. Thanks be to God. You know. So uh, Waterford couldn't win a cup, and we we couldn't win a league. In fact, you uh, no. you were you were a captain in 1971, but there was heartbreak in the title playoff against Cork Hibs. There was, yeah, yeah. There's a bit of a problem there over money, <laughs> and I think some of the fellas felt it as well. Like we were after coming from about, I suppose we were, well, we were well down at the table. Could be, we could have been around around halfway, and then we climbed all the way back up. To get a playoff, and uh, we were looking for a few shillings to be quite honest with you. Not not an exorbitant, but uh, they weren't kind of being prepared to give us anything. And uh, I don't know whether that kind of had an effect on us or that. But this was I thought. Now, me as captain, I, I I had to try and do a few bits of negotiate for it. And uh, we weren't looking for a loss, but they were very reluctant to give us that and extra. 
and uh, in the end they did know and it was just a that was all it was but to, to get to there you'd think there would have been delighted to throw a few quid across you know what I mean and you know and maybe quali- you know, you'd be qualified for Europe and it would have meant money to them but it didn't because it was and I think I think it just tore the a bit of the belly out with the lads you know you know, to, to play in it but uh, yeah so it was I'd say if, if we didn't have that, we might have probably because obviously we, the team was good in its own way when we when we pulled that much back to get up there to get a playoff, you know, and then to wind up then and having to do this, it looked like we mightn't even play at one stage. Well, it was it was flouted about that we, oh, but it, I don't think it would have we would have done that. But uh, it was spoken about anyway. It was. Yeah, I, I I thought they were very very poor in what they've done now and, and that you know uh, to 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 get where we did from where we were and to to have to fight for a few shillings you know tore the good out as far as I was concerned. Now it didn't mean we wouldn't try, or that I wouldn't try personally. But I never went out to play without trying, and. Uh, like that—that that was one of the things I had. I had a great commitment when I went out to play. And some guys didn't. Well, they weren't too fussed about things at times. But you know, the my attitude was: when I went out to play. I went out, good, bad, or indifferent. And if a lad was better than me, he was better than me. And the referee robbed us. He robbed us. And but I'd still get stuck in there and give it a whole lot. But uh, yeah. It was a tremendous time there with the six or seven years of with them, you know. And we we I left under very doubtful circumstances. I wasn't too happy about it. Uh, to be honest about it. I don't think I could say it here and now and this how it happened, but it was it's not nasty or anything like that, but we were last in beaten in the match up in Donegal. I think it was and like when, when I played I gave it everything when the match was over it was over as far as I was concerned and Chewy called me into the office on the Tuesday night and he said Nicky says I'm afraid he says you're going on the rovers I said you're joking me what's wrong well, I said, he says, Lyrical kind didn't like a laugh and then the train coming back. I said, Jesus, Liam, are you joking me? I said, sure, and the match is over, it's over. I don't believe in crying, I said, you know, you know, after, I said, I gave it everything I could do, and I think the lads did. And I said, that's it as far as I'm concerned. And I didn't like it. I said, that's, that's how to, to let me go. I mean, look what happened then so later on with uh, how the Kilcoyne sold Glenmuller Park. Would you ha- would that well. just would that just cement your opinion on, on the Kilcoynes maybe as owners? I would, I would most certainly. It was disgusting, disgusting, terrible. It should never have been fair to the supporters, and that you know it, it was something, and I wouldn't mind that that year in seventy one. It was the first year they had a supporters club and 
they picked me as the player of the year for 71. And uh, I still have the trophy here. It's a pride of place there, a few trophies in the cabinet. And uh, it just it just was one of those things, you know, and, and it'll make you wonder. It'll make you wonder. Well, another thing I'd, I'd say you have in the trophy cabinet is your, your one Ireland international cap. You got that against Austria in October 1971, but it was a, a 6-0 defeat, so... Because of the scoreline, did that make it bittersweet? Well, it didn't, it didn't, I suppose. I didn't, nobody likes losing. You don't like losing that score, kind of, you know. But uh, that was, that was, that particular match, I was substituted at half time. And it wasn't particularly, it seemed great. It was only when I came back, and within two days, I had to be taken into the Mead Hospital. And I wound up with a a virus infection that had pleurisy and I got a, this other condition which was uh, pericarditis which was an inflammation of the heart sac so I just thought I had a bit of a cold or it wasn't feeling too well you know but it was out, I think it was out of the game for, it must have been I was in the hospital for three months anyway and uh, it, was a, it was two months before they allowed me out of the bed and so that was then I was only about six weeks in a new house in Tala and the, the eldest lad of, of the ones that's alive uh, he was only about six weeks old so it was a hard old time I must say for herself that stage you know I'd rest her now she's gone ten years and uh, it, it was hard you know but I knew that, you know I, I I didn't feel great, and you know, if I my my game was about like I could run and chase and go all day, you know, could play a little bit, I could tackle a little bit, I could do all the things a little bit, but it just it just wasn't me, you know, and uh, I knew there was something wrong. Now I didn't tell her about the pain in my back for about two days anyway, you know, but uh, yeah, it was just. If the kick up on the backside, I tell you when they told me about that, and I said, "We said typical medical times. Typical. They weren't just cunning that people talked about them and all that, but they weren't the worst of them. They weren't the worst. Now I tell you that. And uh, yeah, so then I wound up going back to to Bowles. But looking, that was then looking back on the Ireland Cup, though, I mean. Considering you came from Kildare, which is not exactly a a soccer stronghold, and you, you developed quite late as well, it's a magnificent yeah. achievement to get the full international cap for Ireland. It is absolutely yeah. We know teams there. I started helping to to start the first soccer team in Kildare here in '66, and they brought brought Rovers down after the cup final to play a friendly game the mountain where they had the pitch out in the letter road there, not far from where I lived. And uh, people don't understand it. Like, I was barred out of the local Gaelic pitch. I couldn't join the local CYMS hall because I played soccer. You know, and there was no teams around through there. Newbridge would have a team every now and then. Uh, Nace would have had a team as well, on and off. But sometimes they wouldn't have a team the next year. You know, and, and to, to get all that and like I played on a 32 county side as well 
And, you know, I've got three amateur international caps. The interleague, the interleague, three or four or five, I think, interleague selections. You know, panels were with the interleagues that time. I don't know whether you knew with them, Carl. It was the teams from the, the team from the north of Ireland, the, the Scotland, England, and and Scotland, England, and Northern Ireland would play. Say at home this year. Say we'd be Ireland. The League of Ireland would be at home this year. Next year to be away, and that was the way it was. You played against the leagues, you know, and the English league. It would have been their time, my time. Was they would have only played English players. There was no foreign power players picked for it. I think Bert Troutman was the only one, or first one, that wasn't English that was picked for it. You know, and it was a great competition. Lads used to look forward to it. You know, playing the likes of could have been anybody with them. You know, the top Scottish players, the top, top English. And uh, that's from Northern Ireland, you know. And I think that, I don't know whether Wales will win or not as well, you know. But oh yeah, there were some great days and that as well. But like the people, people don't realize even still the soccer team down here wouldn't be taught a lot of, you know. There's so much the Gaelic has so much still even, you know. And yeah, it's just it was one of those they- things. I'm lucky. And Mick, for all these decades, you, you've been uh, you've been the answer to a, a pub quiz question, being the only Kildare man to be capped for Ireland. But of course, now you have to share it with goalkeeper Mark Travers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's amazing. Like it's, as I just said, Jesus, to have to have three amateur ones, the full international. And I mean, I was sub on some of the best Irish teams as ever, Steve Highway. Uh, what they call him, John Givens, Don Givens, you know, all that team, Mick McGrath, uh, who else would have been, Jimmy, Jimmy Conway, for the call him the big centre-half, Terry Mancini, that was John Dempsey, I was subbing in a lot of, for four or five matches, maybe six matches, with those lads, you know, great players, Liam Brady, Johnny Giles, you know, world-class players and to even be on the panel with them was an achievement you know in itself if you had to pick one player the best player you played with and the best player you played against in your career could you could you pick one oh god you know I've played with a few great players in my book a few of them and I've played against uh, when I'm played against I, I, am I playing against as a forward or as a midfielder or as a, as a, or as a defender you see I've played in all them positions and I've played against some of the best for instance I've played against Bobby Moore Jeff Hurst uh, Martin Peters all in the one team, great players. I was, I was lined up against Martin Peters in midfield. So this was after the World Cup. Then you had, we used to have a friendly match against Everton pre-season. And of course they had Alan Ball, Colin Harvey, Joe Ryan, uh, 
just to mention a few. I can't think of all the, the names of the great players. You know, all English and Scottish and Welsh internationals. And so it's too hard, I, too hard to narrow down, does it? Personally, one of the best players I played with, let's put it that way then, and he was a very, very good friend of mine. We were very good friends. Was Johnny Fulham. Johnny Fulham was a great player in my book. And I played with him. And Johnny left Rovers because Chewie dropped him a match against Shells in Tarka Park. And it was the first time he played me in midfield. I was a forward all the time with them up to that. And he says, I remember you, Sean Thomas used to play you. Switch you and Jimmy Conway, and you went to midfield. And he says, I'm playing you today in midfield. I nearly died being Johnny's best pal. Well, James was, but he was a great player. In my book, best player now, and even Jimmy Conway, and another great player on his day, too. You know, but Johnny Fulham was, I think. He'd, be, he'd, be my, he'd get my choice anyway. Johnny Fulham, yeah. And do you still keep an eye on robbers? And have you been to Tata even in recent years? I was in Tata for two games. I think the first game was John Kyo. We were invited up. I think it was the first official league match. It was against Sligo Rovers. I was invited up to the... Well, it was 10 or 12 I was invited to, the, to, to that match. I think it was their first home game in the stadium in Tara and I was up at that one and I was up another one since that and that was I just went up on the, the, the train and got the bus and the bus out and the train and the, the, the bus back and then got the Lewis in and got the last train to Kildare We'll give a shout out actually to uh, a good Kildare man Gary Shaw played for for a few years scored some goals don't know if you know Gary that's right. I, I would have known Gary's brother Tommy. I was only talking to him the other day, and uh, I met Gary a couple of times up the town here. And uh, I would have known his father very well. He was a, he was a a friend of a man by the name of John Hayden, uh, who was a horse trainer and farmer. And uh, his son played rugby for Irish, the Irish schools and went to Newbridge College. And Michael Junior here in Kildare. Michael, he, he he went to Newbridge College and he played schools rugby as well for Ireland and under 19s and up to B, Ireland B, until he broke his leg. He's a very, very good rugby player. Not a great soccer player, man. He's a good Gaelic but, and, and rugby, but yeah, he had to retire. He was only about 23 or 24 when he had to retire with the leg. Nearly looked his leg. And, uh, so. I think we'll wrap up there Mick uh, thanks so much for sharing your memories they've been uh, fantastic well they won't be forgotten too many there's things I forget alright I probably forget what your name was in a few minutes <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of a lot of us that played soccer with those lightweight balls that we played with and especially if you headed any of them a lot of us doing a bit of heading you're inclined to forget what they were like <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thanks so much, Mick. Okay, Carl, you're welcome. God bless. Bye. Yes, it was, Mick. And um, fascinating stuff, Rob. It just shows you how different football was back then. Like we talked about versatility earlier on. 
like he could play in every position, even in goal, you know. So it's it is it's fascinating stuff. And to hear him talk about football back then and have a genuine account of someone who played in that Bayern Munich game, it's fantastic stuff. Yeah, I mean to be five minutes from glory like that against Munich, and I've heard a few different players talk about that goal, and they all say the robbed. same. They all say the same thing that the ball was moving when the free kick was taken. So that just that's just rubbing salt into the wounds. Yeah, big time. Yeah, and, um, um, I mean support- to, be, to be that close to going through and they're getting absolutely robbed. Yeah, supporters knew uh, Mick as the tiger because he gave the everything tiger. when he was playing, and uh, very proud of his roots. That's one thing I noticed. Kildare Town, uh, and he uh, he actually, geez, he had a great like you just chanced your arm and asked him about Shazi. Yeah, I know. It's funny that, that was a know. great backstory. I'm not sure you heard my question about Mark Travers, but actually we, we had talked about it off air quite a bit. He was well aware oh, that Travers had, had equaled that stat. He was no longer the only Kildare man to play for Ireland. Yeah, yeah. And um, he also played in the win over Schalke. I didn't get time to ask about that. Uh, in the fog in 1969, we beat them 2-1 at Daily Mount Park. And uh, just have a couple of... competitive co- game. Yeah, Eric Barber scored the two goals. And like the fog was extremely bad to the point where the players couldn't see anything. <laughs> and uh, got, bumping into each other. <laughs> got a few good quotes here actually from Mick Smith, who was the goalkeeper. So he, he played in both the Munich game in 66 and Schalke in 69. Right. So he said this about Munich. This is Mick Smith. He said, the day before, the team and Philip Green, who was the RTE commentator at the time, they had met a warlock a gypsy of sorts, and she predicted that we'd lose. So a few minutes to go in the game, Green, oh, no. in, Green in his radio commentary starts saying, the warlock got it wrong. And people at home hadn't a clue what he was talking about. <laughs> and as Mick says, we would have gone through on away goals, but they got that late goal. Muller hit it with his left foot, and I swear to God, he hit it so fast, but I hadn't a clue where it was. I literally heard a whistle going over my head and it was in I reacted to the whistle but at that stage the ball had already come back out of the net it was the hardest shot I've ever seen from the time it left his boot I didn't see it his eyes were like or his thighs were like tree trunks I always thought that was a, I always thought that was just a joke in the Simpsons thighs like the tree warlock. trunks yeah <laughs> And he Mick said this about the Schalke game. He said we played Schalke in the Cup Winners Cup in 1969 in Daly Mount, and the fog was so bad that I couldn't see anything outside the box. I'd hear a cheer, and I'd ask one of the defenders what, what was going on. We just scored, they'd say. I was just standing around the goal, minding my own business, when I got a show. Their winger was sprinting right at me, practically on top of me. He scored too, but we won 2-1. And he also Unbelievable said he, stuff, isn't it? So the game was played pretty much in a radius of six feet of each player. <laughs> yeah. He also says that we stayed in a, in a kip of a roadside hotel on the return leg in Germany, which we lost 3-0. He said, bloody trucks gone by all night. It was terrible. <laughs> Not a wink of sleep. So that yeah. was Mick. Great stuff. Really, really interesting stuff. Um from the Rovers legends. So we're going to talk about the build-up to the Pats game, Prof. I was buzzing for this. Buzzing. Even the week before, even on the, the week of the Galway game, I was buzzing for this. 
I just kept talking about it and thinking to myself, this is this is going to be such a good game. I'm so looking forward to it. I was so confident as well. I was, I've never been as confident going into a Pats game. So much so, I bet Pats lad Mork uh, picked on as the last man standing. Absolutely buzzing. And you, and you won that bet, so there's a good chance that he'll get the money now. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so we beat him 3-1 on top of the table clash, prof. Um, really, really like a fantastic performance. We got on to that soon, but the team, Mandroyo was back in the starting 11. Scales, left wing back after being rested for Galway. And Finn came back and Borky was injured. So we're here in four to eight weeks out with a hamstring. And possibly Galway being dropped for Galway makes a bit more sense now that the that the, the bid is in. Could have been something to do with that, Prof. I mean, scales, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, but a grade two tear. Borky's hamstring is not good news at all. So we're looking at four to eight weeks. He'll, he'll be a miss, but considering the form of... Of Watts. And Danny got two goals there on Friday. He won't be a massive loss. Though, because they're like Berkey and Watts and, and Mandrayu are similar components of our team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I think so. And we were only talking about how they don't actually play that well together. Sometimes mm. they complement each other too much. But the, the crowd, the capacity was back up to 1,500. Uh, 350 tickets went on sale. On general sale before the game, and of course it was nothing stopping past fans from buying those tickets. But good thing we had Maloney and Stewarden sniffing out those past fans, ready to eject their ass. Sniffing out past fans, what a what a job, what a description. What do you do in Tallaght Stadium? Sniff out opposition fans. <laughs> so I, um, I really like what we've done this week, uh, and I presume this week going forward, in that we're prioritising twenty twenty season ticket holders. I think that's a great move. Yeah, no, don't totally agree with you. Set of randomers going on, you know. There's also yeah, a, bit of, a bit of news during the week that the, the two Ireland games in September will get 25,000 at the Aviva. So if you do the maths on that one, could that mean 4,000 for Tala? Well, we hope, we hope so. I mean, unless we're being ridiculed for more slippages. But we hope that's what we want. That's what the ultimate aim is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But Rob, here's here you have you have the stats with the fifty stats now. It's the last time we both missed a home game, a home league game now. But yeah, I actually don't have the stat. I I can just tell you the last one I missed was three one win over Wexford in September 2016, or maybe it was August. And the one before that was a three 0 win over Galway in late 2010. The last two home league matches I missed. So I don't know if you were at those. So it was a chance the two of us haven't been at a match, haven't missed a match, a home league match in probably a decade. No, it's mental, isn't it? Yeah. But fortunately, these things are over hands. And um, it was, it was heavy, mental. Heavy, heavy, mental, well, watch, mental watching the game, like watching a stream of, of a home match. It was like an out-of-body experience. It was like that's what I was saying. I said that to you. Said, this must be mental for you in particular, who's there doing media. Never, like, rarely, rarely, rarely misses a game. I just couldn't wrap my head around that. I was just watching. I was like, why am I not in the stadium? Yeah. Yeah, so um, the heavy rain prof most of the day and a bucket down. It really did. It hammered down. Yeah. And um, 
Started the game off, passed by inches away from scoring an early goal, bro. Yeah, they came very close to, to taking the lead there. And in general, would kind of cagey first 20 minutes, would you say? I thought the first 20, 25 that they were totally pressing us and giving us, weren't giving us an inch, weren't giving us a, a, anything to play with at all. I thought we were struggling. But ultimately, when I was watching their first 25 minutes, I thought there's no way they can keep this up. Uh, their their energy levels are going to sap eventually. And um, it took a bit of magic from us on 29 minutes. But the first 25, they were on top. And I just thought that we didn't give us an inch. We couldn't get going. And then a bit of magic on 29 minutes from uh, Watsi. Um, just superb build-up play. This whole goal. Yeah. Did you tell that on the right-hand side again as well? Like He loves kind of hugging that right-hand side and then playing, walking in and around with Finn. It's been working really well, but Watsi just came in and just a little slide ball in. Perfect weight on it. Perfect timing. And what a first-time finish from Andrew. And I love the way he hit the net and rolled up the net. <laughs> And hit the roof of the net as well because of the way it rolled up. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant finish. It, it's a great setup and a great finish, but I kept replaying this goal because this the pass before the assist from Grace was unbelievable. And if you watch the movement as well, yeah, we were just kind of waiting patiently to make the right move. It, like it was For fans it, of the old pass before the assist. It was great to watch. And uh, it really was, it was brilliant stuff. They had a chance, uh, I think maybe shortly after this, there was a dangerous true ball by Forrester. So they could have equalised there. But then, which you'll talk about now, we had, we had a couple of chances from headers. Yeah, Tell's header. Tell's header from the Gaffney cross. I thought it was just a little bit too much pace on it or maybe Tell's positioning was slightly off. But he gets a good head on it. These probably should go in. But he was really stretching, wasn't he? At the back post. Yeah, he was. He was stretching. And if he had got any sort of, if he had a headed back cross goal, you're looking, you're looking at 2-0 there. So, they're definitely a good good chance. And then Danny Mandrew as well, boy from Finn's cross. This, he should be scoring these. Yeah, I think he should have buried this one. He actually had another header chance in the second half. Did you see that one where like he seemed to hang in the air for an edge? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like some of space jam. <laughs> but they, as you say, Finn crossed that one. Finn's energy up and down that right-hand side was unreal in this match. He's been revitalised, hasn't he? I mean, even though he has been playing in that position yeah. for a while, he's been brilliant since he's come back from injury. He really has. And did you notice Finn and the scales were like even more advanced in this game? Like They were so advanced all the time that even when we were just starting to play it out from the back, they're already way up there. Yeah, oh, I will say as well. I thought, I thought the ref was 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 poor. I thought he gave a lot of a lot of decisions. But then again, we gave away a lot of frees in our own half unnecessarily, just doing little things. You know what I mean? We weren't getting away with the dark arts at all. We weren't getting away with the little nigs, the little pulls, the little 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 bits of you know smart play that you could say that is illegal. But we are getting pulled on absolutely everything. Oh, the and, ref was the uh, ref was awful. And yeah, I think I think what summed them up was so I think it was around ten minutes to go in the game. Dylan Watts just sort of nicked the ball cleanly. It was like it was like a good little tackle. And the ref pulls that up for a foul. And everyone was just groaned and just thought, Oh, that sums you up tonight. Yeah, yeah, no, he was he was poor. But we uh hammer blow prof, we hate conceding at this time, love scoring. 
But Mountie, the free, I think it was a free in. It was a silly foul. Yeah, like you say, we we did give away too many leading up to this. But it was it was pretty fluky. I mean, Manus was still sorting the wall at this point, wasn't he? Yeah. And the ball takes a nick off Watts. And Manus sees it too late to get a hand on it. But um, It was kind of in the middle as well. It did take a nick, but there was a lot of pace on it. And the skin, yeah. I think it bounced just before it went in as well. So obviously the, the rain was going to help it go in. But well, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, we talked about the chances there. I mean, we could be three up. And this goal is an absolute kick in the bollocks because it comes out of nowhere. And as as um, Graham Garden says in commentary, it just totally changes the halftime team talk. Like, it's a diff- yeah. different game now. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I was a bit worried as well because I thought to myself, these are going to come out of blocks flying. I mean, a goal just before halftime, they'd been doing well in the first 20 minutes. Uh, a little bit lucky to not go behind by a few more goals because of the chances that were created. So they're probably thinking, okay, we can come on. We can start coming out of blocks flying here. Um, it wasn't necessarily the case. But halftime approach props So one, I'll talk about the SRFC TV halftime content, which is getting better and better. Yeah, I mean, this is the first time I actually got to sit down and watch it right through. So It's good because it's relevant, because it's new, always. It's not just some old video replayed. We're always doing new stuff. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we, we touched on that last week or the week before that the other clubs aren't doing this. They're kind of half-arsed about the half-time stuff. But, like, that's yeah. 15 minutes for you to show something, you know? I mean... 15 minutes is a long time in production. Yeah, I mean, like, fans aren't going anywhere. If they're not at the game and they're sitting at home their, under their computer, they've nowhere to go except maybe a trip to the fridge. You know? Yes. So, I mean... <laughs> especially in our case but uh, so like a half time we got uh, an interview with the described commentary lads uh, we got a promo for the Love Rawers Love Rawers Hate Racism shirts which by the way Sunday was the last day to pre-order those so I hope you got them yeah very and cool t-shirts we also got a feature on Mick Kern's Middletown model it was it was unveiled the whack, the whack, just pulling it out of bag again. Absolutely amazing, wasn't it? Oh, the level of detail and just listening to him. The, 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 how many hours he put into this? It's madness. Mm. And uh, it was displayed in the club shop then the following day, and he got a spread in the Daily Star, so he got a lot of attention and deservedly so because it's it's an unbelievable model. Yeah, it's fantastic stuff from Mick as usual and expected as well. He's a perfectionist, so brilliant stuff. Uh, the 50s time trial, Prof, we might have to resurrect it, <laughs> Get give them some new content. How long have we been talking about this? We need to do it. The 50s, the 50s time trial could be very, very funny. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll pitch it to the right people and see if they're interested. But um, yeah, so we came back out, Prof, and I was thinking they were going to go flying out of blocks and the 50 minute bone blocks a Gaffney shot the near post so we came out looking like we were ready to play you know and we are going to have a good reaction to losing yeah. the goal just in the 45th minute on the stroke of half time yeah Gaffney looks certain to bury this didn't he and it was a great last ditch tackle maybe, isn't he? great last ditch tackle by Bone in fairness yeah so that was the Gaffney shot Prof you absolutely adore Gaffney lately and what is not to adore about him he is a steam train steam train Gaffney has been unbelievable he's just there's no stopping him once he gets going 
No, we have our own Gaffney section coming up here. I think a lot of people are in love with them now. But uh, then we have the, the Lopez goal. Unbelievable. So, Lopez, Pico had been talking about his lack of goals. and It was frustrating. He'd been saying that he has to get the finger out. And we were obviously chatting away and saying, yeah, yeah, hopefully you do. And um, absolutely gorgeous delivery in from Dylan Watts. Perfect. And it's one of those headers that it's gone from left to right. And it's just beautiful when it hits the net because it's a tough enough finish to execute. So, so he went, ball whipped in. He goes to the front post. He nods it to his right-hand side into the top corner. Into the far corner, brilliant. yeah. Sparking it's, wild celebrations in the room while they're sat on my own in isolation. Yes. <laughs> That's a superb header. I mean, as this was, I don't know how many people were aware, but we, we hadn't scored a corner this season, hadn't scored from a corner. I mean, we did have a few from free kicks, all right, but that's insane. It was, it was a glaring, glaring statistic, and for that reason, and for the how good the goal was, like you said, the delivery, the timing of Pico's run and to execute it, it was so satisfying. Hopefully a landslide now. Hopefully we start to kick on and start to score more. And a set piece that good, it can be as satisfying as like a worldly from 25 yards. Yeah, definitely. Just so satisfying. I'm particularly what was what was um weighing on it is the fact that we haven't got one, like you said, and it was just so satisfying to watch a score from a corner. Again, and what's he getting the assist? What's he on fire in this game? But plenty of players who are really playing well. We move on to the next goal, though, Prof. This uh, this was magic. Another bit of brilliant play. Gaffney involved again. Uh, did Gaffney get the pass before the assist? Um, I don't know actually. I didn't. I, I didn't make did, an order. Then you've got a perfectly weighted ball, middle of the park, slides in Danny Mandrew again. And then, Prof, I'd say you were only loving this finish. Uh, the, the chip slash dink. Is it a dink or is it a chip? Oh, my God. It's, not it's a tough one. I think it's, isn't a chip employ you have more distance from the keeper? Chipping the keeper. But a dink, this, I don't know, it's a tough one. <laughs> I think it's a, we're, we're going to have to morph the two words together. Every week we uh, have this problem. It was a magical, magical finish. And I thought it was going over. I thought you put so much on it. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought it was going over. It's, it's the way he hit it, yeah. Perfectly um, weighted. And then absolute bedlam in the south stand. Beautiful, again, beautiful finish. Again, the movement for this goal and the finish, it was just, it was fantastic to watch. And two goals for Danny. He kisses the old, the new tattoo guy. Oh, don't I know, them, yeah. Don't mind them balls, Charlene. It says Rovers on it. Rovers. <laughs> Did you see but, her? Do you, know what, do you know what I got to love about Danny? I love about Danny is the fact that he's been out of team and slightly out of form as well. If we're going to call a spade a spade. And he gets thrown into a massive top of the table diet Dublin derby. And uh, he just performs and he gets himself the man. What's my man the match? But I mean, he gets himself the man the match. Who did, did they pick? I think it was Danny in the end, was it? Yeah, they chose Danny. Well, Graham Gardner. So, I mean, Danny, he yeah. goes in and he bags himself a man of the match award in a Dublin derby. And he's been out of the team for a while, out of form. Just brilliant way to react to being put back in the squad. So, it shows you how far he's come on mentally as well from the start of the season. So, really, really was happy with that. But 
So that um, was that was the seventy second minute. So kind of game over at that point. Opposition keepers, but if they just can't handle us outstanding, can they? No, here's another one that uh, bites the dust because uh, apparently at the final whistle he, he looked really rattled and he gave a little wanker sign to the Ultras. <laughs> yes, love it. Oh man, South Sound is great for abusing keepers. And Jason Maloney mentions it in his article this week in Hoop Scene. He says he loves how Ronan Finn always chooses to shoot into the South Stand second half. Fucking smart, man. Yeah. Smart move. Because we're basically Definitely. sucking the ball into the net at times. Yeah, we really are. Yeah. <laughs> great way of saying it. So, uh, great photo of uh, Waffles as well. Anthony McDonald, his wife and daughters in front of a display of him. So, really, really nice touch and gesture there. Um, great to see Waffles forever living on in Tallis Stadium. Yeah, and there was a, like you said, there was a display for that and there was a flag for Alex Ryan. Only one uh, Alex Ryan, or sorry, a chant rang out then. Only one Alex yeah. Ryan. So, and like we said, they were remembered forever. Lovely how both were remembered. So, Prof, what a win. It, it just... Uh, it just made the weekend. It really, really did. Oh, it was absolutely buzzing. It was such a such a satisfying performance. It really was. Everybody all around the pitch. Watts is brilliant. Mandrew is brilliant. Gaffney. Gaffney has man of the match performances every week. It just it really was satisfying to watch. Pico scoring a goal. You know what I mean? Just fucking brilliant. Brilliant stuff. It was the way we played. Like We totally dominated them from, like you said, that first half hour. And like we look like scoring with every attack at one stage. We should have should have won by five or six one really. We had a couple of chances that we should have buried, didn't we? I think it's official now. We we have clicked. Yes. It's okay to say that now. Yeah. We we were a bit weary of saying it before, but and like you said, the post Euro form, it's it's kicked in. It really is, isn't it? It's just uh it's it's just inevitable at this stage. And that's that's but yeah, so we got three assists for Dylan Watts and three like that's the thing. We, we haven't been paying attention to assists. We're always getting grief off Jason Maloney. Well, that's three undisputed assists in one game. But uh, we love assists. We love assists here at Tifties, but who is the main Maspy Watts so far, doesn't it, this season? Uh, he's miles in front, I'm sure. But uh Brazzer says that he's the complete midfielder now, where he was he was too floaty before. And too now fl- <laughs> That's I know exactly what you mean. I read the article. I don't. I'm not sure he used the word floaty, but it was in the headline. But uh, that's the Brad- thing, right? We talked about our next transformation, and I'm, I'm hoping someone out there listens listens regularly enough to point this out that we spoke about the next transformation. It was McInef. It was Pico. It was Watts. We spoke about. We said Watts is the next project, and it's yeah. it's happening right in front of our eyes again. Yeah, when, when Jack and Aaron left, everyone was talking about Danny Mandrayu. Like, he has to fill in as the replacement. But I was always looking at Watts because oh. I was thinking this is the first time where he, since he first signed, where he's he's the main man again. You know what I mean? He always had Jack Byrne there. So I always had that feeling that he would step up big time. Oh, he really is. He really, really is. He's the main man at the minute. 
And as Brad um, said, he's he's matured now and he, he plays for the for the team. You know, the defensive side of his game is there as well. So he's an all rounder, yeah. But enough of Dylan Watts, Prof. The Gaffney show. The Gaffney hour. Uh Danny Mandrew, man, the match book Gaffney was absolutely unbelievable. Again, he is unstoppable at times. He's just so he's just so interesting to watch as a footballer. How long do you have, Gar? Because I can keep going about this man. What foot what foot is he? <laughs> just tell me. <laughs> what foot is he? Defenders are just terrified. Of him. Man. They, they don't, don't know what to do. They don't know what to think. They don't know which way he's gonna go, what foot he's gonna use. Like you called him a steam train. Uh nice quote from uh Ray Whedon was he says Gaffney has this ability once he gets the ball under control to run in any direction with two or three opposition players treading in his wake, freeing up space for our attacking players. He's integral to us now. The magnet, the steam train magnet that is Gaffney. He just draws players out and then we use the space that he creates. He's he's brilliant. He really is. And can we can we uh, give the little tread a bump on the rover shot? Yeah. I actually went back and read it and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Uh, for the most part, people were saying nice things about him. There was there was a few comments like they don't think he'll be clinical enough. But then there was one or two comments that were just ridiculous. Like yeah. one person said like he's one of the worst strikers to ever play for the club. I'm like, wow, that that didn't hold up well. But uh did you notice an injury time? Uh on the on the left side of the pitch, he's wasting time with the corner flag, right? Yes, yes, yes. Up the very so, top of the south stand. Yeah, a pass player boots it forward, but then we get it back. So now Gaffney's out of camera. So we get the ball back and we launch it to the right side. This is all within the space of a few seconds. Mm-hmm. We launch it to the right side, and he's there to collect it already. <laughs> <laughs> he's just started running already he's unbelievable <laughs> he's deadly he really really is um, we could sing his praises all night praises we won't be singing as Stevie O'Donnell um, his tactics again he got them all wrong first, first 30 minutes like I said I thought he did I thought he pressed well they don't seem to have the players to do what they want to try and implement do they they don't seem to have the quality what do you think of Benson in the false nine and they had Three strikers on the bench, although they weren't fit. I don't, I, I don't. I don't agree with it. No, I don't think it's. I don't think they have the players to play that type of system, especially with the wide players that they have. I don't think Billy King or uh, what was it, um, Smith or Lewis. I always mix the two of them up. But either mm. way, I just don't think that they're good enough to to implement the system that he's trying to play. I just they should. I, t- I was shocked when I saw Cochran coming on as well. And what about that sub, Cochran for Barrett, and then we go and score. Did Pico actually leap above Cochran? I'm not sure who it was, but Barrett would have been marking Pico. Barrett That's would have been sure. marking him, exactly, yeah. But um, you mentioned... Uh, bizarre, bizarre. You mentioned um, Alfie there. Did you hear Steve, Stevie O'Donnell on the LOI Central podcast? And Alfie was talking to him about Brian Kerr. And Boy, just... Did you think Stephen O'Donnell had a couple of sherries on him? I actually haven't heard the whole interview. I just, I just saw that quote. He, he sounded a bit loose. And then when he said... <laughs> When he said Japers, I turned it off. Japers? He said Japers live on a podcast. I that's, said, no. that's, that's just a void. He need to be switching it off there. But, I'm uh, done. Stevie O'Donnell goes to Alfie. He goes, um, you know, he managed Ireland. Talking about Brian Kerr in the stands. 
That player just thought he was some random lad shouting from the stands. <laughs> He's just like, God, oh, there's that old fan that they've been letting in for 50 years. <laughs> but um, like in fairness, when balls come to Tata, Keith Long, they, they really go for it. Like they go yeah. for the win every time. Whereas, but he knows, he knows that he has to. And if he's not seen to be doing that, because the only thing that'll save you after a derby defeat with the fans is if they put in a bit of heart or put in a bit of fight. Mm. We know very well what's like. If they play and they don't act like they don't give a bollocks, then that's the fans are going to be on their back. But if they go and they give it their all and they still lose, there's not much else you can ask for as a fan. Am I right? I get you, but how do you compare it to O'Donnell in that his when they when his past teams play us, they kind of sit in, or at least when they come to Tala. Yeah. And we're beating against him. I'm beating against him in eleven games now. So I mean, he's not getting the better of us. I think he is possibly well, he is sitting on the fence as regards to his tactics coming up there, because he knows we have the ability and at the moment with a form team in the league. He wasn't going to come up and go all guns blazing. He was going to try and contain us and hit us on the counter. Didn't work out for him in the end. We just had too much quality. And at the back, we're starting to click now as well. We're starting to play a little bit better. And it just didn't work out for him. He got it, he got it all wrong. So, I mean, that's, that's what happens as a manager. You lose your, your tactical duel every so often. I love listening to Graham Gartland. And he was talking about the tweaks that Brazzer made to kind of open Pats up as in getting our uh, centre mids to push wide for uh, for Danny's second goal. I mean, like, I wouldn't be smart enough to see those things, to be a lad, you know? Like, it's, to be, it's great <laughs> to watch, though. When, when, he's, when he's doing it, right? When he is explaining it, you're just, you're looking at it, and it's like Pandora's box is open, and you're just like, oh, yeah, I see it now. Brilliant. Yeah. To be fair. Lad. But the ref as well, the ref prop. Um I he, he was he was so inconsistent. He got all the little decisions wrong. He was extremely biased. He did everything in his power to I think he was one of those refs that wants to be very authoritative in 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 the in the game and it just he made stupid decisions because of that. You know, I don't think he even wanted to talk to the players, you know, one of those refs that won't even talk to you. So, was, uh, yeah, I think he got, he got he got a lot of decisions wrong. He, he really, really did. infuriating from the start to finish. Stop and starting was... Is, I hate when that happens in a game, when it stops, starts. You can never get any fluidity going. But, I mean, we we got around it, but he did his best to scupper that game. Uh, so, yeah, the ref, he was garbage. Poor Alan Carley, prop. He was getting abused. I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> what do you expect when you're so totally anti-rovers? anti-rovers, everything rovers, and you go to Tallis Stadium, you have to expect a bit of fucking flack and a bit of abuse. Plus, he's, I think he lost his Twitter password as well recently because he's nowhere to be seen. He lost it after the the pass equaliser. He suddenly okay. lost interest in the game once we uh, took the lead. And according to witness reports from Barney Senior and uh, some young ones, uh, some kids, some were, young ones, <laughs> some young ones who are kind of interested, all verified information here, but <laughs> interested in uh, Mr. Carly and his his uh, attendance in this game. 
he lost interest after we scored and he was just on his phone and then he got a bit of abuse and he left early. Standard. Good, good riddance. Surprised we let him in. Uh, yeah, so in other news, ex-hoop, Aaron Bulls are signed for Cork, so hopefully a bit of game time for him is what he needs. Just get down, get the head down, play ball, get back to his best. Wish him all the best, Prof. Yep, here, here. Rory Gaffney, bottom player of the month for July. Well deserved as well. Um, could have been Gary O'Neill. He was excellent. Could have been, it could have been a lot, but Gaffney just ran away with it for me. But we've had a lot of good performances in July. Uh, but then Gary O'Neill nominated for the League's Player of the Month award for July as well. How Gaffney didn't get in there, I'll never know. Yeah, I mean, Gary O'Neill's been excellent. But uh, if you look at the results of, of our poll for the Club Player of the Month, it's actually probably one of the more one-sided polls. Yeah. Gaffney all day, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. We Brad's our prof. More news. He said they'd like the Bowls Rovers FAI Cup to be played the Aviva to get a big crowd. Well done, Brad's mind games again. <laughs> get it out of that kip of the Daily Mount and get us on a level playing field. I like I that. I like the idea. I do I don't see it happening though. Now ultimately it's in Bowls Court though, right? Like the FAI can't turn around and say, Listen, we're playing this in, in Daily Mount or in, in Aviva. I think it's up to Bowls to make that decision. I'm not sure, but my prediction is that it, it won't happen. But I could be wrong. Yeah. I think you put the jinx on, on us now as well, Prof. Ever since you've been slagging bows about the Aviva, they've been doing nothing. Uh, hang on now. You, you, joined, you joined me on that now. We were both having a grand now laugh. They're 2-1 up now at the minute as we, we speak. We can, just, we can just alter the stat a bit. We can just say they've never seen a cup final in the Aviva. Yeah, yeah, we can go with that. We can go with that. Yeah. But they are they're currently winning 2 1 against a, a very strong Pauk team with international class all over the place. Shinji Kagawa, Viarinha. Now, in fairness, they've no games under their belt, but still, it's, it, it is a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good result if they can hold on to it. Yeah, it's mad to see Viarinha back because remember him playing against us 10 years ago in the he group stage. He was brilliant, wasn't he? One of the best players I've ever seen play against Roberts. He was that good. I think so. He was something Edis as well, mm-hmm. wasn't he with them? He was very good. Yeah, and look at the pairs we've seen. You know, Del Piero, Zlatan, and if you ask me like for a top three, Viorini is in that top three. Yeah, he was absolutely outrageous. He really was. Um, the European draw, Puff. Um, other scores around Europe as well. Linfield have gone down 2-1 at home, Prof. That is not a good result against Fola Esch. They should be beating them. Uh, that's that's over now, just as we speak here. So it's that's a bad result for Linfield. Uh, what else have we got? We're going on to our own European draw, prof, on the bank holiday Monday afternoon. Should we progress past Duita? We will play a defeated side in the tie between Ammonia, Nicosia, and Flora Talon. So into the this this is a this is a good fucking draw, prof. It's a good draw if we can get our head down and just stay away from this. This um, favourites tag, which I don't want anything to do with. I don't want. I don't like the language that the papers are using and being handed a gifted or gifted a favourable toy. I don't like hearing that at all. Um, I'd rather have a little bit of pressure and be the underdog. So, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, but it, it is a fantastic chance if you look at what's in front of us to make the group stages. It's it is a great opportunity. Yeah. And funny enough, when you Slovan, break it down, Slovan were in there 
Could have got them again. And you know what? I mean, considering how we played at home, fair enough, I don't think I want to take, I wouldn't get them again, but you wouldn't be too disheartened if you did get them, you know? Mm. But we're talk, still on the topic of Europe and we're just talking about bowls. They will get uh, Hibs or Rijeka or Croatia in the playoff rounds. They'd be poked. So, like you said, they're winning 2 1 now at the minute. Hopefully, putting on some pressure now. But I think it's into the dying, the dying embers of that game, bro. Imagine Bowles and Hibs at the Aviva. Bowles and Hibs at the Aviva, yeah. Jeez, imagine that. Uh, Dundalk will face either Lazzi or Anderlecht should they overcome Vitesse, which I doubt they will. Vitesse are a feeder club for Chelsea as well, aren't they? So they could have a couple of Chelsea loanies on there. Um, I, I doubt they'll they'll overcome them. So, Yeah, Anderlecht, um, I've actually never played a League of Ireland club before. We That's were supposed to play them. We were supposed to play them in 2012 until the Ukrainian tobacco happened. Oh, yeah, remember that? I remember that draw being touted about, actually. So, yeah, Anderlecht ended up beating, um, uh, I've forgotten their name now. Oh, Ukrainian 11 0 on aggregate. It just sums it up. But, Jesus um, Christ. Final note on Bowes, Garrett. Even the Pelk manager. Even he knows about Bo's British origins because he said they're going to play a strong British team. <laughs> he knows about the tea party. Yeah. Strong uh, British team, Gar. Strong British team with no investors or oligarchs. That's it. Just people. Just people. And, and tea. Um, <laughs> that, that game's over now, so. Good result at home, no no doubt about it. It is a good result, well, not at home, indeed, uh, for Bowes against a very strong Pauk team who are in pre-season, but I think I think they'll have enough to do with them at home over there. That's... Considering um, some of their fans have been calling Pauk Turks, I can't imagine they're going to be making it too safe for Bowes travelling over there. <laughs> I'd probably shut my mouth if I was them. That goal they pulled back, that's, that's going to be crucial. If it was 2-0 yeah. going to second leg, I'd be sweating. Yeah, very, very much so. But we'll move on from a European segment here, probably going on to the underage results. Uh, very poor result for the Robbers 19s. They were beating 3 0 at home to Pats. I think a half an hour was only gone. And they were 3 0 down. So um not a good, not a good week at the races for the 19s. The 17s won two and away to Dundalk in the Mark Farron Cup. We have the women's under 17s beating at Lone 9 0 at Rollstone. The 15s were 6 0 winners in Wexford in the National Cup. And then we the 14s, Garth's boys, they drew. Against oh, they beat Bray Rounders 4 3 and penalties in their cup after a 2 2 draw at Rollstone. So, some um, some really uh, positive results there, but hopefully the 19s can bounce back. Yeah, and the 14s had another game midweek. They had beaten uh, Carlo Kilkenny 4 0. So, that's Garth's boys doing very well. So, officially, uh, Zeffi's gone, prof. Unfortunately, never even got to see him play. But he has signed a three-year deal in the Milan. Is it a pro deal? Is it an underage deal? I'm not too sure. Either way, it's possibly a offer you couldn't turn up or you couldn't turn down. Um, you couldn't say no to Inter Milan at that age and seeing how you get on over there. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, so he completed the move on Tuesday. Uh, PSV and Juventus were among the other clubs uh, believed to be interested. He's a uh, 16 years old but Milan have or Inter rather have won the race to sign him he trained with them for a month in February 
and he's begun to learn Italian as he prepares for his uh, life-changing move. So he said this, speaking to the Sunday Times, I hear loads of stories of really talented footballers who couldn't keep their feet in the ground and they didn't get very far in football. My future is at Inter Milan. I've worked hard for that and I will continue to work hard and stay motivated. That's Kevin. Let's hope he keeps... uh... Let's hope they don't snatch him up. The Italian FA snatch him up as well. But that's uh, definitely a star for the future. I wish him all the best. So, uh, yeah, Prof, we're going to move on to your uh, your annual... You're just trying to pluck these randomers out of Eastern <laughs> Europe every year. I always get one, don't uh, you? You've got to hold one. You've got to hold one out. Is it, he is Albanian, isn't he? Yeah, he's in Tirana. So yeah. He's Albanian. And we have Ernal Kuka. So he is a journalist and he's our expert in Albanian football this week. Uh, so we're here with uh, Ermal, sports writer from Albania. Um, so we're going to talk about the game on Thursday. So Tudor's nickname is the Boys of the Sea, uh, considering the club hails from Albania's biggest port. So can you give us some background on the area and what their fans are like? Well, uh, OK, they are one of the oldest clubs in Albania. And uh, they have a huge fan base, but they've moved quite a lot because of the emigration, etc. That's the seaside. Uh, that's a seaside club. So uh, the city is, is on the seaside. So you can imagine they've moved a lot. So uh, they are not that numerous at the moment, but still they follow the team very much. Uh, due to playing the Nico Devana Stadium, the capacity of a little over 12,000. Can you describe the stadium and what sort of attendance is going to be permitted on the night of the away leg? Okay, uh, well, the stadium is a category two, between two and three of UEFA, because they've had some lighting problems lately and they had to renew the lighting. But, uh, you know, with the pandemic and everything, the economic crisis, just they just stopped the, the renewal. They are just trying to rebuild their stadium into a modern, modern stand, standards, let's put it this way. But it's a good stadium to play football, so it's the pitch is nice, so it's okay. So it's for 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 Shamrock and the guys will be no problem there. What sort of restrictions are there on the attendance? Yeah, okay. Uh, well, the restrictions in Albania actually are it should be thirty percent of the of the total number of of the capacity of the stadium, so it should be around. 3,000 people, 4,000 people, basically. But I, I wouldn't be <laughs> so sure because we had other matches played this week where it was supposed to be like four or 5,000 and uh, 9,000 people showed up. So <laughs> it's <laughs> it, it depends, you know. In general, in Albania, how much has the country opened up? How much the country has opened up? Well, we have... We have no mask mandates except for some special special places, close places, but it's opened up basically everywhere. But yes, we have the the let's put it the curfew and the lockdown from midnight to six AM. And the rest is free to go everywhere anytime. So this year uh Tuesday won their first league title since nineteen ninety-four. And they did it on goal difference, but a very unusual record for champions. 17 wins, 15 draws. That went right to the wire, didn't it? It was only decided on the last day with three different clubs involved. Four, not three, four. Four teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
workloads had the chance to do that. Yep. Yep. Pretty weird. And it happened all like we didn't know anything until the last day because there was a, a, a continuous change of positions in the last six, seven weeks of the championship. Like everybody involved was at least one time, one week at the top spot. And it, it happened like that, you know, <laughs> kind of weird, but it happened. As for the draws, well, yes, they had a tough stretch of results, mainly at the beginning of the championship. They recorded like 10 draws during the first half of the championship. And then the rest, it was because of the, there was so much competition this year. It was, everything was undecided until the last moments, as you see from the, the, the results based on goal difference and the other clubs following up. So yeah, it happened like that. But they are a tough, a tough nail to beat. Let's put it this way in defense. They were at least during the championship. It was really, really difficult to, 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 to score against them. Last year, the top scorer was uh, Dejvi Bregu, uh, but he's 16 league goals, but he's after moving to Turkey. So yes. don't have to worry about him. Uh, so which players should we watch out for? Yeah. Who are the most dangerous in your opinion? Okay, uh, so Brego was absolutely one of the most talented players of his generation. And he was trying to move for many years from, uh, from, from Albania abroad, but he put this last season in him and did wonderfully well in Teuta and helped them win the title. He was decisive for them. And as far as the others are concerned, well, now they have Kalaku, who they had like until two years ago, but he moved abroad, had a tough season in Croatia and returned back to gain his momentum, let's put it this way. And he is a good, look, Brigu is more an offensive forward, even though he's playing on the wing, while Kalaku is more a playmaker. He can make the play, the, 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 the movement. He can put a through ball uh, that can change the match. So there are two different types of players right now. And they've got Seferi on loan, but he's on loan. So it's only for the European matches. The, but I think Shamrock should focus on Kalaku mostly. <laughs> he's the, 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 the toughest on them, you know. To, cover to 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 make the movement and everything because he moves between the lines he's not a proper 10 he moves between the lines uh the manager uh martini he's in his second spell in charge of the club what's his style what kind of football does he like to play uh, well teuta, the teuta he built was built in in two different types the first type was the year before the championship they were much more offensive. They played much more offensive football, but they were not so balanced in the back. So they decided to move things a bit like balanced in the back, less offensive football, but get the results. And if you see them, they got the results. They are not. They were not a high-scoring team, but they got the results, the wins and the draws they needed in the end for the championship. So it's lately they've practiced this type of football. Now they've moved a lot of players and they rotated a lot they lost so a player which was very important for them in defense as well their central defend defender Rustem Hoda 
moved abroad as well, moved to Kosovo. And so they are trying to make amends with new players or adapting midfielders as central defenders. Looking at the squad, it's made up almost entirely of local players. There's a few Macedonians. There's the Brazilian defender, Jackson. Is this different to years gone by? Were there more foreign imports at one time? Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, they had foreign players, but they're based on, on, on the Albanian market. Basically, it was a better choice because they brought in the old experienced players or even the, 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 the Macedonians or the foreign players who are there. Jackson, he, he played previously in Albania, so he knew, he knew the Albanian championship. You know, to win the Albanian championship, you just, you just need to know what the local team's like or the local football's like because you have to adapt, etc. So they focused on, uh, on what, what was here, you know. So it was, it was better for them. All teams now are focusing on stuff like this, you know, bringing maybe one, two, three players from abroad, but not much more of that. Before it was different, they brought in like huge number of foreign players. Now they are just going more homegrown, let's put it this way. What did you make of the win over the Andorran side, Inter? Uh, who Tuta eventually overcame in extra time, 3-2 in aggregate. Was the first leg a big shock to lose 2-0 at home? Yes, definitely. It was a big shock and it was it was unexpected. I think they, 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 it was negligence, you know, total. They thought it, it was easy against an Andorran team, so they just, just did a terrible match, all of them. I mean, it was terrible to see. But in the second match, it was just a matter of time, I think, because they were dominating the match. I was seeing the match, they were dominated everything, like they had shots on goal and ball control and movement and everything. So they had like, it could have ended even in the first half, you know. It was a good win over uh, Better Jerusalem last year. Uh, you were beaten by a league side Granada in the second round to end up going all the way to the quarterfinals. In the Europa League this year, there was a 5 0 aggregate defeat to Sheriff in the Champions League. So, how do you feel Albanian clubs have been performing in European competition the last few seasons? And what are Tuta's own expectations in Europe? Look, um, the last couple of years were good because all teams progressed at least one round. And they did it by playing football. I mean, it was not like, and they had some of them had not so easy opponents to pass so so it was good the last couple of years was good uh last it, it didn't happen very often that all four teams moved to the next round but it did it two years in a row so i think the progress is good look we have quality here the fact that the last couple of years a lot of players have moved from albania to 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 hungary to turkey even though second division turkey it shows that we have good talents here that can play abroad and they are doing well there so basically it's it means that we have quality and it's quality that's grown up in these clubs it's only been one previous meeting between irish clubs and albanian clubs that was when Skoder beat sligo back in 2010 in the europa league what are the media and fans saying about shamrock rovers who do they consider the favorites to go through in this tie I think people in Albania in general expect the Uta to have a challenge, but they expect the Uta to win. 
They think Kauta has the quality, even though missing a lot of important players, as I said, Brego moving out, uh, the defender moving out. They have a offensive winger who's injured, uh, Lorenzo Villa, the young guy. So, uh, but they still expect Kauta to move, to move to the next round. Or at least they see them as favorites, basically, to move to the next round. But it will depend on what each team does at the home court. Because home court, even though the, the away goal rule does not stand, home court is still a good advantage, you know, from the psychological point of view. Albanian teams play better when they play home. <laughs> Let's put it this way. And they are a defensive team. So being a defensive team, that means they can play in the back good when playing abroad. So that's why I think people expect them to be challenging to pass to the, to the playoffs. Uh, the Europa Conference League is it's getting the thumbs up from a lot of smaller clubs and its fans so far. It does seem to give them a better chance of progressing further and making uh, group stages, especially in this so-called champions path that we're both in. What's your opinion of UEFA's brand new competition? Oh, well, <laughs> there are two sides of each story. For smaller clubs, it's good when you see one side of it, when you go to the group stage. But if you see the total for small countries like Albania, etc., where most of the money for the clubs come from European competitions, the income is not that good. Say, if you consider a trip to, to, to Ireland will probably use up all the 100,000 euros a team gets for the round because of the trip, the charter flight, the, the accommodation, etc. will use up all that money. There's a lowering of income if you, took the, if you, if you see the total balance so you should be lucky in the draw to get some some closer <laughs> closer team or something like that to move like nearer and so you you can save some of that money because a lot of the income of the Albanian championship comes from the UEFA money. That's the truth, you know. It's like seventy the last year it was seventy-four or seven no, sixty-four, sixty-five percent. So it's it's a lot, you know, that it's based on that money. So in this perspective, moving to the Conference League for Albanian clubs, it's not that big money as they used to get from Europa League when they passed around. Let's put it this way. It'd be similar in Ireland, actually, in terms of how much the UEFA money means to each club. And I think it's about three million if you get to the group stages of the conference, which is pretty similar in fairness to the, the Europa yeah. League group stages. Yeah, but getting to the group stage... For um, both paths, even the league path, even the championship path, is really difficult. You see, when you go to the playoffs, there are some very tough teams to beat. It's not that easy. So it's 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 not that easy going there. I mean, you have to be in the intermediate championships or to have a um, you to have a, a higher wave coefficient coefficients, you know, just to, to go through, to have a better chance to, to, to move to the group stage. Of course, when you move to the group stage, that's big money. That's really big money. I mean, for, for, for a championship, that's really big money. 
But if you're the average club that goes one year yes, one year no, or if you're not champion, let's put it this way, it's it's really tough and it's a lot of money. We've had teams moving from Albania, let's put it. We had Partizani who played in in Moldova. So the 100,000 euros just went away <laughs> without without seeing any of it because of the trip and everything. And then they played Basel in the Europa Conference League. So they just basically got peanuts out of it <laughs> because that's that's the type of the tournament you get. You can get an easy one in the first round, but then you might get a, a big shot in the second if you play from the league path, second, third, etc., etc. But if you go the only way that's a bit easier is the champions path, but then is the playoffs which are terrible. That's how I see it. You're talking to me from uh, Tirana there, the capital of Albania, and you have the honor of hosting the first ever conference final next May. So that's a, it's an event for you to look forward to. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's that's a good achievement for us. You know, we are thinking about it will be a good way to show what Tirana is like it's, and everything, you know, it's uh, Albania is like football-wise, but now even infrastructure-wise, that's a very, very nice stadium to play in. And uh, it's kind of it's kind of something new for us, you know, <laughs> a new experience. So we'll try to make the most of it. But let's wait till next year, you know, to see it. For now, it's it's still our stadium <laughs> we play there. So <laughs> oh, that's perfect, there, Mal. Thanks so much for the insight, and uh, talk to you soon. Okay, you're you're welcome anytime, and good of luck. The best of luck to both the teams. May the best one win, you know. That's football. May the best team win, yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks. Yeah, so that was Ermal. And uh, he knew his bit, he knew his stuff, didn't he? Yeah, he dipped in and out of reception there, unfortunately. Uh Albanian 4G is not all as cracked up to be there. <laughs> yeah. um, it's forty one degrees over there. I think all the routers are melting. It's not forty one degrees. Forty one degrees in Tirana at the minute. It's not that high, is it? That was 32. 41, and then it's obviously it's fluctuating up and down, but on a high during the daytime, it's 41. Yeah, the heat factor will be will be huge then in the second leg again. Yeah, that second leg, by the way, uh Thursday, 7 p.m. Irish time. Thursday, oh. 7 p.m. Irish time. What time is that over there? Um, I'm not sure if they're one or two hours ahead of us, but um their league season doesn't start till the 27th, so they're, they're out of season. Uh, obviously, they have two rounds under the belt so far, but in Europe. Uh, just a note on their manager, uh, Eddie Martini. I was looking at his Wikipedia page, and he had a short spell with Eintracht Frankfurt in the late 90s. Don't tell me there's a link. Well, no, there's no link, but it's just how how he ended up there is mad. Go on. It's because war broke out in Albania in 1997. Like the country was just totally war-torn over the collapse of a massive pyramid scheme. And this just devastated the economy. Like the place. Yeah, this happened. This was something similar in Moldova. Guy, one of the guys Morg was telling me about something similar in Moldova and pretty much everyone just used Moldova to funnel funds 
and and um, and pretty much just lawn their money, and then it just the arse fell out eventually, like exactly what you were talking about. Yeah. So 1997, he he was playing football in Albany. He had a couple of caps at this point, so he was obviously a promising player, and he was playing an international match in Spain. So him and another player used that opportunity to sneak across the border into Germany. And just like that, he had fled Albania. Did we hear about this before? No, I was reading an article about it. And So did he claim asylum? Pretty much, yeah. And then next thing... Remember that a youth team did that? I think it was Nigerian youth team did it in Finland. And they all just bailed. They bailed the whole tournament. And they ended up, a, good, a good few of them ended up becoming professional footballers. And I'm nearly sure Rovers played against one. Yeah. Could have been Rops. Could have been someone. Definitely. There was definitely something there. But yeah, it's fascinating stuff. But you had then you had um, once a lot of the other Albanian international players heard about this, they all kind of got the same idea then. <laughs> so they all went to kind of Central Europe to find you know, clubs in Germany and stuff, although they weren't quite at the high enough standard to get in the first team or get into, you know, Bundesliga level. But they, they all tried. Like, they had to try something to get out of the country. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So that is it. And fair play to Ermal Kuka giving us all the information we need. Um, They don't strike me as, I hate even saying this, I'm not undermining them already, but they they. They don't strike me as a creative team with attacking flair. They, I reckon this is going to be a battle, an absolute battle of a game where we've got tough veteran Albanians coming to tell it, <laughs> looking for a scrap. That's what's going to happen, and I think it's going to be a tough one. It really is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what prop next? We have Staten Levens and predictions. <laughs> Um, this is a tough one. It's a tough one to go with. Is Scales going to play? I'm hearing he is going to play. All right. So Scales is in. I'm going to go Manus. Pico. Pico, Grace, Joey. Scales on the left. Finner on the right again. Can't take him out. Tell and Gary O'Neill again. And it's got to be Watsy. What's he, Mandrew and Gaff? Because that's it's kind of hard to drop anyone at the minute after that performance. And Mandrew has to play again. I think that bit of creative flair against one of the supposed dogged Albanian opponents, I think, is going to probably be invaluable. And he could probably have a little spark with him and Watts playing there. Plus, you got Tell and Gary O'Neill, who are tough customers as well. I'd, I'd imagine that's that's going to be my team. I'm going to say one 0 win. Late run, Richie. Yes, it's too hard to to change the team there. I mean, harsh on Cabo. I mean, Cabo had been playing well. I know, yeah. Imagine not having Sean Cabo in your team. Yeah. And crazy. I presume we're going Cabo left wing back for the rest of the season then. I mean, that's that's not necessarily a bad thing either. And if it came down to when he got injured again, you've got Greener. So I wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't be getting too upset about it, you know, considering that's not actually Scales' position. Like he's, a bit, I think he's a centre half by trade. 
playing mm. left wing back. He's just excelling and he's doing a, doing us a favour, pretty much playing there. Yeah, I mean, no, no complaints about having Cabo the rest of the season. So, Super, what's your prediction? player. Yeah, if not to be boring, but I, I did have the same prediction because, like, what you were saying about them being maybe a bit defensive and it being a battle. I'm not. I'm not seeing like a a big convincing win here, but I'm seeing. I am seeing a win though. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, so I'm going to say one nil. Yeah. Uh, Longford prediction as well, Prof. I think what's this on the Sunday? Yeah, I'm gonna say glorious sunshine, three 0 win, and a few changes. We'll 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 mess around with it because it's gonna be it. We don't we don't we have the squad to do it, and we can obviously we can make a couple of changes against Longford. But I think it's three 0 win in the sun and continue on our uh, our good form after Europe. Yeah, this is the bread and butter, as they say, don't we? I mean, like all the best teams. And we're able to do this. They're able to play the Europe on Thursday and they come back and win their league games. And you have to defend your league title. You have to get back into the Champions League again next season. Michael O'Neill's team did this in 2011. Mm-hmm. And Brazil has been talking about, like he said, he, he had the opportunity to, to postpone these games between Europe. But he said no. He said they tried it before and it didn't work. They didn't enjoy it. It's better when we keep playing. Yeah, and similar to Harps, when we didn't postpone that one as well, we went out and we got the win, remember? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think, yeah, definitely. it's and Nobody has a stick to beat you with then. Nobody can turn around and say, oh, well, they got that game postponed and they can do this. And then it's not shoehorned into a Monday afternoon somewhere. So I think, like we said, we have the squad and they actually, they actually play better when they have more games, which is proven at this stage now as well. You know, the Longford game, he'll probably do what he has been doing. He'll probably play, you know, Gannon instead of Finn. Yeah. Probably play Hoare instead of Joey. You know, a yeah. few of those changes. A few switches in their own green are coming in for one of the attacking players, maybe Mandrew or something. He'll probably rest Gaffney as well. Yeah. Um, Definitely, yeah. I'm going to say a 4 0 win. Can't oh, I'll get in there, bro. Steam train Gaffney. Late run, Richie. <laughs> Um, yeah, so this week's hoop scene prof once again fantastic stuff. It's a Duita and a Longford double. So once again, brilliant stuff. And you've got uh, your next article is your and Deco's Eurographic. Tell me a bit about this. Oh, well, I do this every year, in fairness, but uh, it it lays out where everyone is. You know, appearances, goals, managers is the kind of interesting one. Brazzers only one off. Michael Neil sixteen games now. He could break his record for most toys won three. And as I mentioned before, he's already break, broken John Giles' record for for games won. So he's, he's up to five. So he's flying. <laughs> and he has his, the, he's pretty much nurtured the top European goal scorer of all time, Graham Bork. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a little piece as well about the, just the conference league in general, how clubs and fans are responding to it so positively. Uh, like a lot of clubs are loving it, like Larne in Northern Ireland, uh, the New Saints from Wales. You know, a lot of clubs loving this competition. It, it does seem to give you a chance to progress further. The results as well are insane at all. I think I think TNS won five nil away in Lithuania. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like a result like that tonight, <clears throat> Rose beating Pauk, which is massive in fairness. 
Um, it's it really is good for the little guy, and you might have the other clubs giving out about it and thinking it's a bit of a chore or a task, but the likes of maybe the Vitesses and the bigger the bigger clubs. But ultimately, would they rather not be there and not have that offer of financial help and winning games? I think I think it's it's a good thing all around. I think I saw a display from some ultras in in Europe talking about um, talking about that's just another version of the that massive Super League which I didn't agree with to be honest now and there are two ways of looking at it I mean I think the Spurs and Roma are the only really big clubs in the competition yeah. so the glamour ties are going to be few and far between now I mean we're probably not going to be playing Juventus and Milan anymore in the Conference League but financially yeah, speaking I mean like I said in the interview it's virtually the same prize money as the Europa League for the group stage. So it is massive. Huge, huge. And it's all about progressing now as well. But Prof, the big question, anyone going to travel to Albania? Uh, do you know what? Andorra piqued my interest when they won 2-0 when Inter club Discalade is won. And I was looking at that going, Andorra looks the biz. Like it's up in the mountains. I was thinking, lovely. So in Albania, I got them back. I'm thinking, okay, go to Albania. Looking it up, looking at the degrees, looking at the way to go, how much price points are, and stuff like that. I think this is great. This is lovely. I'm going to spring this one on the prof now, but unfortunately, I am housebound for next week or so. Now you're locked won't in get your the home game, won't get to the away game, won't get to the Longford game. It's just a fucking disaster. Do you see a few people actually booked Andorra after the first leg? <sighs> Some people did, yeah. I think the same people booked Albania as well. <laughs> yeah. Determined to get away, but, but um, we'll, anyway, but that, anybody does get over, and like that, we wish them all the best. And um, we don't want to take it, we don't want to like really start talking about group stages, yes, because it's a long way to go. But away fans will be allowed again, so it's potentially something to really look forward to. And domestically, could Bally Buffet on September 3rd could that be the first? Rovers away game where we're back. We'll just plant that seed in all the fans' heads. September toward Bally Buffet, Jackson Hotel, Dylan's and Larry Kenny, maybe. Oh, you never know. We'll keep that one and just let that grow. Let that seed grow into a beautiful, beautiful big session flower. I can we'll, see uh, I can see in your eyes, literally, as soon as you end the Zoom call, you're gonna be on to Nolan's. And you're gonna be <laughs> like booking a, a coach. Provisionally book that, please. 27 capacity is... See if I know what we can do. We can get 27 on the 56, so... <laughs> but anyway, that is it for this week. And uh, big, big European week, Prof. Very excited. Cannot wait for this game. So that is it for this week, Prof. And thanks to all our sponsors. You know the usual, how, where you can get us. Keep on hooping. See ya.